keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Then the God of peace will be with you. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, St. Paul wrote these words of encouragement to the disciples in Philippi, which was a town in Macedonia. Paul had great affection for that church. It was the first community that he founded when he entered Europe around the year 50. And the Philippines, pardon me, and the Philippians on their part reciprocated Paul's affection by sending one of them, Epaphroditus, with gifts for the apostle while he was in prison. But before sending Epaphroditus home, Paul wrote his letter to thank the Philippians for their kindness and to exhort them to be ever more faithful to the Christian way of life. And Paul's exhortation to fidelity, Paul's exhortation to fidelity is the central message of the Word of God this Sunday. Indeed, the Apostle's message provides the key for us to appreciate the way in which the Lord Jesus takes up the oracle in Isaiah in the first reading. It and the gospel, as it were, frames, frames the passage from Paul's letter to the Philippians. And it is crucial that we heed its lesson. In the second half of the 8th century B.C., the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, as well as other peoples in the region, were in great fear. They were in great fear because of the threat of the Assyrian army. The book of the prophet Isaiah links the people's distress and uneasiness with the fact that they have distanced themselves from God. They live without reference to him, forgetful of all he has done for them. The future looks bleak, for there is no sign of their heeding the prophet's call to conversion. Thus, Assyria is depicted in the book as a rod or a staff wielded by the Lord in his anger. Today's text is a poem a dialogue between God and his friend. Once again, we have God's people compared to a vineyard in which God had planted the choicest vines. But God is heartbroken. He laments, What more was there to do for my vineyard that I had not done? Why, when I looked for the crop of grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? Now the Hebrew... The Hebrew has the meaning of poison berries. Why, when I looked for the crop of grapes, did it bring forth poison berries? And so God pronounces punishment. The vineyard will be ruined. What were the grapes? What were the grapes that God expected to see from his people? God's friend in the dialogue gives the answer. Judgment and justice. And the people did not judge wisely, nor were they just. They failed to yield the expected fruit. So the Lord takes up this oracle and gives it a twist. A twist. It becomes the parable of the wicked tenants, and he puts himself in the story. 
That's the twist. The parable recapitulates the history of the relationship of God with his people. Again and again, God, the landowner, sent his servants, the prophets, to obtain the landowner's produce. The judgment and justice God expected from his people. But the tenants abused the servants and ultimately would kill the son. But note, Jesus allows the chief priests and the elders to pronounce the punishment. Think of that. So when he asked, what will the landowner do? They answered him, he will put those wretched men to a wretched death and lease his vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the proper times. And Jesus affirms their decision. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that will produce its fruit. Dear friends, let us heed what the Lord says because today we are the Lord's vineyard. He formed us as his people, the church. More particularly, we are a parish. And Christ expects us here at Our Lady of Hope Church to bear the fruits of justice and judgment. If we do not, then the kingdom of God will be taken away from us. And how horrible that would be. How horrible to lose our place in the kingdom of God by distancing ourselves from God. By living without reference to him. And by forgetting all that he has done for us. And what has he done for us? He has saved us from everlasting punishment by his death and resurrection. He continues to nourish us with the choicest of vines. His son, who is the true vine, who in his passion poured forth his precious blood, which you and I have the privilege to receive in Holy Communion. His body and blood is a pledge of everlasting life, of everlasting peace and well-being. Therefore, we must be a people, a parish, that produces good fruit. We're all in this together. So each of us is called, as St. Paul told the Philippians, to keep on doing what we have learned and received and heard and seen in him. Then the grace of, then the God of peace, rather, will be with us. And this means living a life of Christian virtue. A virtue is an habitual and firm disposition to do what is good or to do the good. It allows the person not only to perform good acts, but to give the best of himself. Give the best of himself. You know, uh, from time to time I'm reminded, and I, I don't know why they dropped the slogan. I thought it was so effective. But do you remember that old army commercial, Be All You Can Be in the Army? You know, it went for years. It was very popular. It was on all the time. Well, that's like in the church. That's following Christ. Christ wants us to be all we can be. And he gives us the grace to do that. To give the best of oneself. The virtuous person tends towards the good with all his sensory and spiritual powers. He pursues the good and chooses it in concrete actions. 
St. Gregory of Nyssa said, the goal of a virtuous life is to become like God. The goal of a virtuous life is to become like God. And we can want to do that only if we love him. Remember that Jesus said, and our experience affirms it, that where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. There are four moral virtues, or they're often called the cardinal virtues. Prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. We will consider only the first two tonight, as they are the ones mentioned in our readings. To exercise the judgment God expects of us, we must be prudent. The Catechism says that prudence disposes our reason to discern our true good in every circumstance and to choose, choose the right means of achieving it. Moreover, it guides the other virtues by setting rule and measure. And it is prudence that immediately gives the judgment, or pardon me, guides the judgment of conscience. It is prudence which guides the judgment of conscience. The prudent man determines and directs his conduct in accord with this judgment. In other words, we are always bound to follow our conscience. To say this, though, presupposes that our conscience, which makes judgments about what is right and wrong, is well-formed. And that formation comes from the gospel and the teachings of the church, which we accept because of the theological virtues of faith, hope, and above all, love. It is because of my faith in God, my love for him, and my trust in his promise of everlasting life, that I freely conform. I conform my life according to his ways. Prudence guides me to do that. The second moral virtue, or the second cardinal virtue, is justice. It consists in the constant and firm will to give their due to God and neighbor. Justice toward God is called the virtue of religion. Justice toward men disposes one to respect the rights of each and to establish in human relationships the harmony that promotes equity with regard to persons and the common good. Remember, like I said at the, at the start of this, we're all in this together. If we are to be just toward God, we must take seriously the first three commandments in the Decalogue. God must be first in my life, meaning that I give him the best of my time in prayer each day and that I rely on nothing or no one else for my ultimate happiness. Also that I constantly respect his name and wish to give him glory. And finally, that I offer him the worship that is, that is his due, at least on Sundays and holy days of obligation. And of course, in this time of COVID, when we're not obligated to be here at Sunday Mass, we're not obligated to be here, but it's wonderful that we are here. But if we're not here, we're attentive to the Mass at home by watching some sort of televised Mass. And if we can't do that, then we take up the readings of the Sunday and we spend time with them in prayer. In prayer. So, if that, that's what we're called to do. And if we're not doing that, 
we're not doing that, we're being unjust toward God. Unless we have this religious disposition and do these things, we are being unjust toward God. Now, justice toward my neighbor means that I respect the rights of my fellow man, his right to life and freedom, to the sanctity of his home, to his good name and honor, and to his material possessions. Christ takes the virtue of justice seriously. He summarized the whole teaching of the law and the prophets by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this, these meditations or these thoughts on justice, consideration of the virtue of justice, is very appropriate because tomorrow, tonight, beginning tonight and tomorrow, is Respect Life Sunday. And since 1973, a great injustice has been foisted on our country. A great injustice has been foisted on our country in the name of privacy and personal liberty. And here, of course, everyone knows I'm talking about the unspeakable sin. The unspeakable sin which has caused so many innocent lives, innocent lives, these many years. And you know, a Catholic philosopher once said in a lecture that I attended that this unspeakable sin being enshrined in the law is the devil's greatest victory since the fall. The devil's greatest victory since the fall. And it is patently unjust. Unjust. Because it, it takes away defenseless human life in the place that it be, should be safe. You know, when a society accepts this, it is in fact killing itself. Killing itself. And the demographics show this. The demographics show this. And it is a horrible tragedy. And I don't speak this theoretically. I speak this from experience. Because the person, and it's a woman, who undergoes this procedure oftentimes will reason to why it is okay to do this in the moment, in the reality, in the action. And yet she knows as time passes that it was never okay to do it. And more to the point, at some point, maybe years, she comes to deeply regret it and mourn the loss of her child. And I know this personally by my work with Project Rachel. With Project Rachel. So on the one hand, there's justice. Justice that is due to the child as a person, a human being. But on the other hand, there's a possibility for those who have been touched by this unspeakable sin for God's mercy. And that happens through repentance and reflection and availing oneself of God's mercy in the sacrament of penance. And I've helped women to do that. And I have to tell you, that experience is among the most profound experiences of my priesthood. And I would say that if there's anyone here tonight who knows someone or perhaps has personally experienced this sin, to not be afraid. Not be afraid to seek the mercy of God 
and to seek healing. That's what Project Rachel offers, healing. Healing. But it takes time. A long time for a woman, and sometimes men. Sometimes men. To have the courage to come and see a priest. To come and talk about it. But I've seen marvelous work of grace in Project Rachel. Now, when a society accepts, accepts the killing of innocent life at its beginning, it's no wonder that we see a trend toward accepting the killing of life at the other end of the spectrum. Why we see a growing, sad to say, horrible acceptance of euthanasia. Of euthanasia. And if you ever, if you want to really take up this and really reflect on this and really consider the beauty of the end of life and, and the courage it takes to affirm life at the end of life, you should read Father Kirby, Father Kirby K-I-R-B-Y, Father Kirby's little book, We Are the Lords. We Are the Lords. It's a very, very wonderful book, and it'll be an important help to anyone who is reflecting on one's decisions that one would like to have happen at the end of life if one is in a position not to give them. Like, for example, if one is unconscious or unable to decide for oneself. We are the Lords by Father Kirby. By Father Kirby. But it's sad to say, you know, once we started the, down this road back in 1973, no wonder in our culture anything goes. Anything goes. You know, how many my age or older when we were kids would ever think that our society would be in the shape that it's in? Who would think it? Why? Because of the very things we're talking about here. People living without reference to God. Not listening to what he says. And not living the way he tells us to live. That's, that's the essence of the problem. And it's for each one of us in our hearts and in our decisions to say, we will not accept this. We will not accept this. This acceptance in our culture of taking innocent human life, either at its beginning or at its end. And we certainly, in this time of the election, certainly at this time of the election, you know, as Catholics, we go into the voting booth as Catholics. Or when we take our ballot to send it in the mail, we make our decisions as Catholics. That needs to be our fundamental identity. That we are disciples of Christ who live in a wonderful country. But nevertheless, God first. And therefore, it is impossible. It is impossible for, for, to vote for anyone. Anyone. Who supports the unspeakable sin. Impossible. There is no way to reason to do so. It is a terrible sin to do that. And we must be clear about that. We must be clear. Remember, we talked about a conscience that is well-informed. Well-informed. Dear brothers and sisters, these moral virtues that we've been considering, the cardinal virtues, were infused within us. We have them by God at baptism. We must make them an active part of our lives. And we must encourage one another to practice them. That's so important. That we encourage others in the practice of virtue. 
If we are giving God the best of ourselves, then we can be confident that we are living virtuously and that we are indeed bearing good fruit. Then St. Paul's words of assurance will resonate with us. Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.